On today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, John Garcia Jr. from Sports Illustrated joins the show. Our Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show, Jonathan Davis, your host, John Garcia, Jr., Director of Football Recruiting at Sports Illustrated, joining me once again. John, my first question for you is, Texas held their orange and white game this past Saturday, and a lot of the fans are still anxious about how this offensive line is going to look in the fall. Now, we know in the 2022 class, Texas brought in seven offensive linemen, headlined by the two five-stars out of Texas, Devin Campbell, and Kelvin Banks. A lot of the fans believe that these two players need to start day one for Texas to have the type of success they're looking to have this season. So you covered these players. Are these two day one starters in college football? Well, Jonathan, it's always hard uh, to project that because there's so much beyond the physical that goes into it, right? How do you transition from your mom's house to college? How do you you figure in, you know, discipline, time management, class, nutrition, lifting, really just being an adult with that job that is college football. There's so many that so many things beyond football itself that do factor in. But assuming they can check all those boxes, pick up the coaching scheme uh, under Kyle Flood and, and Steve Sarkeesian um, and assimilate all the way, uh, then, yeah, physically, I do think both of those guys in particular are already to compete at the highest of level. I mean, Devin Campbell is as physical an offensive lineman as we covered last year in what was a really good class for the O-line itself. He was probably the one we felt as good about um, among interior guys. Guys, if you needed to plug him in at guard, he'd be ready to go, uh, maybe even right tackle day one at the collegiate level. Again, from a physical standpoint elite at the point of contact great motor um there's one play where he's like 70 yards down the field against someone i mean he's he's got everything you look for up front um curious to see where, where he is slotted positionally but i do think he has some versatility there and then with banks this is this is your quintessential left tackle i mean this is your longer more athletic prospect that is built to combat these smaller defensive ends because they're shrinking as, as we go forward. Uh, all these great pass rushers are, are edge guys, often linebackers, even off ball players that are getting smaller. So your, your tackles conversely have to become more athletic. Uh, and Banks is one that can kick slide really smoothly. He redirects well thereafter. He's got enough length to extend uh, to stymie that initial move that he's facing more times than not. Uh, so I do think he's got the polish to do it. But again, if it's a freshman and if it's left tackle, I mean, this is a whole different ballgame now because now you're talking about so much beyond the physical uh, that it's really a lot to ask. And the more young guys you have on the field, the, the more important communication is, the more vulnerable Quinn Ewers or Hudson Card will be behind them. So there's, there's a lot to be said for in passing situations. But what I think doesn't get talked about enough on the flip side these kids are ready to run block and, and it's much easier for linemen to run block through that transition from high school to college. And we all know 
Texas's ground game has to be strong and another foundational point of the offense. You've got arguably the best back in the country as well with, with Bijan. So I do think that on the front end, these guys can profile as starters day one from a physical standpoint, but curious to see how it plays out positionally, especially for Campbell. And then, of course, between the ears uh, for both of them because they're just so young. Yeah, hopefully that transition is smooth because, you know, Texas possibly could use two new starters on the offensive line. And as you talked about, uh, those are two, you know, highly touted prospects for a reason. Speaking of a running back that will be running behind uh, Devin Campbell and Kelvin Banks in the near future, Trey Wisner, a surprise commit to the University of Texas. A lot of people had him pretty much a lot going to Oklahoma. So how did Trey Wisner end up on the better end of the Red River rivalry? And what type of player is he? Yeah, I mean, I thought this was an Oklahoma, maybe A&M battle. I mean, Texas was really kind of the third school for, for quite some time, really until we got into April. Uh, and then he took that trip uh, to Austin, and that was kind of all she wrote. Uh, but this is an intriguing football player. I know he's projected to play running back, but this kid lines up all over the field, quarterback, running back, receiver, linebacker. Um, he's a good basketball player. There's so much to like about Trey's game uh, today, and, and especially when you talk about projecting it forward to his senior season and, of course, the collegiate level. Uh, as a runner, there's there's a decisiveness about this kid that I really like. Um, he profiles as, as, as a great athlete, a guy who you would expect to see long touchdowns from. And yes, they are littered across his tape, but it's a lot of decisiveness and kind of no-nonsense style to get those chunk plays. You know, I think we get lost in the space game. Oh, this guy, how much wiggle does he have? Can he juke guys in the open field? And I think Trey can do some of those things, but really he's smart. He's patient. He's got great vision and there's no nonsense. When he makes his North South decision, it's one cut and go. And he's got the juice thereafter to outrun uh, linebackers and defensive backs, which is certainly what you want to see. So I think he's a developing running back prospect just from a technical perspective, but the foundation is certainly there uh, to become a nice counter to whoever the other back is, right? Because look, it's 2022. How many Bajan Robinsons are going to carry the, the full load for, for any team going forward? Um, so if, if he is to share the load with someone, I think he has the ability to be a counter type of player because of his decisive style his top end speed and, and kind of those instinctive traits, vision and patience in particular that, that really shine on tape. And so with his commitment and Texas is in the top five for Cedric Baxter Jr. Uh, so how does that affect their pursuit of Ruben Owens? Because I can't see a scenario in which they bring in three running backs in this 2023 class. So with them landing Trey Wisner and then being in the top five for Cedric Baxter Jr., how does that affect their pursuit of Ruben Owens? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to get all three. I mean, I think that's probably something that was true even before uh, Trey committed. Um, but it is something that is, is much more reasonable to consider now. Um, Owens has the top five that everyone knows, right? Texas, Texas A&M, Georgia, Bama, USC. Within that group, Texas, Texas A&M, and Georgia have kind of felt like the top three for him for quite some time. Bama and USC are, are kind of courtesy spots right now as far as i look at it so i do think texas is right in the thick of it and, and for baxter 
kind of similar, right? Texas, Texas A&M, Ohio State, Miami uh, is in there. Florida is in there. I mean, it, it's a bit of a, of a wider net uh, in terms of who's uh, truly in it uh, for, for Baxter out of uh, the Orlando area. Uh, but I, I do think by default, you know, you're not going to get all three. So it's not that Texas is going to sit down and say, hey, uh, let, let's force our hand with one of these guys. Um, but I do think also that Trey compliments whichever other back it is. I think Owens is more of that space guy. He is more of that finesse back. And Baxter is is a power downhill back who's got great receiving traits as well. So I think no matter how you pair Trey with one of these backs, there is a complementary factor that works both ways. Um, but but to think that Texas is going to get all three, I think is is a little premature. Um, it's just not something that I would anticipate because it's like quarterbacks. It's usually one per team. Running backs, it's usually one to two. Once you start get, getting beyond that, it's hard to bring in those high-profile national backs. And when you talk about Baxter and Owens, those are two of, of what, the three best backs in the country, period. So going to be hard to, to satisfy all their needs. Okay, cool. So I'm going to ask you about Ryan Niblett, but first – if you're hungry, try Built Bar, especially the Puffs. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Go to Built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carb. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first and then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every single time. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15. You get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So another uh, commitment, Ryan Niblett, a player that, uh, you know, kind of had a low key, quiet visit to the University of Texas. I believe it was on a Thursday, uh, you know, not a lot of attention around it. And then he ends up committing as well after the orange and white game. And so what type of player um, is Ryan Nibbler? What comes to mind when you think of Ryan Niblett as a prospect? Well, the kids got wheels. Um, th this is a track star, quite literally. Uh, and a, as explosive a recruit as you're going to see at the wide receiver position uh, in this class of 2023, probably more of a slot. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, 5'10", 170 or so, uh, but he can really pick him up and put him down. You know, he's been timed uh, in the 10'5", 10'6 range. He just ran a 10'7 a week or two ago in the 100-meter dash, which is really moving. Anything under 11 seconds, we're, we're, we're going to say this kid's really fast. Uh, so he's really fast. Uh, as well. But I like what Ryan does on the football field. He's another one who plays all over, plays defensive back, receiver, return man. And I love those two-way traits because it just gives you an intrinsic advantage over your opponent because you have experience playing the position that he's playing at the moment where he's trying to slow you down. But I do think that the best projection for Ryan is at the wide receiver position. He certainly can take the top off of a defense, but obviously being a return guy, uh, and a slot type, he's really comfortable after the catch. I think he's got uh, a nice instinctive ability to make the first man miss with quickness. And then obviously the acceleration and top end speed to make guys, you know, lose their angle on him thereafter. So um, this is, again, a great fit for what Steve Sarkeesian wants. You want an explosive passing game, and that has to feature different types 
of pass catchers. You need your big bodies, your Ajay Hall types, 6'3 possession types that are really going to challenge you from a physical standpoint. You need your tight ends who are, are competing against linebackers and safeties and, and making those guys work. And you need some slot types who can make everybody work a little bit harder to try to stick with them one-on-one -on -one, or a guy who can catch it short and, and take it long thereafter so i think that's where niblet uh, really shines on tape um and physically you know he's going to grow right i mean he's he's not always going to play all these these sports and all these positions so he's going to focus on receiver focus on slot and probably get a little bit bigger along the way even before he gets to texas and i think uh, that's got to be exciting for longhorns fans because he's again one of the more dynamic players in this class so last time you came on the show we talked about oshan mathis and we talked about how it looked like it was down to Texas and Nebraska. He posted a YouTube video confirming that, you know, saying that he would make his decision on April 30th. So it's going to be a big day for both of those programs. But you also mentioned, you know, that it's recruitment and anything can happen. And I don't know if he's spoken into existence, John, but now <laughs> lately we're hearing that TCU is making a strong and late push to retain O'Shawn Mathis. So what can you tell us about that? And, should Texas fans still be confident about O'Shawn Mathis' decision on Saturday? Yeah, I think when I was on here last time, I said the sooner the better if you're a Texas fan. So it is pretty soon. I mean, so that part of it is certainly true. Uh, I, I did see that he tweeted out the, the TCU photo today, but some were like, no, he's just pointing to his watch because it's it's time to announce. But look, there, there's, there's always something to be said for the school that you're leaving. And, and I think there have been a lot of players. I mean, Amarius Mims just did this at Georgia where the moment the kid hits the portal, everyone's like, well, where is he going to go? Because obviously he's not staying because he's in, he's in the portal. But there's always that possibility that you can you know, come back home, as they say. And Amarius Mims was at Georgia, took an official to Florida State right after. He was supposed to visit Miami. And then like the next day, he's like, no, I'm staying at Georgia. And then that was it. Like he never even took that other visit. Um, Mathis has has been much more of a longstanding recruit to follow, a little bit more traditional. You know, he took each visit uh, and now he's he's mulling his decision. Um, Nebraska did get the last one. I do think that's always important in, in recruiting. You want that last in-person impression uh, with, with your top targets. Uh, but I do think Texas had a lead going into that visit. So the question is, how big was it? How big was that lead? Did Nebraska shrink it? And now, as you mentioned, J.D., the wild card of how much does going back home appeal to Mathis as, as TCU winds down with, with their new coaching staff um, in the first spring under Sonny Dyke. So I do think that that's something uh, that is always worthy of consideration. But I do think the whole sooner rather than later thing and then him coming out with a Saturday commitment – I think that still probably bodes best for Texas if I had to make the pick between the three. Um, but I do wonder about that dark horse. I almost think TCU could be more likely than Nebraska, just, just from the gut feel. That's not after any particular phone calls. That's just my gut that, you know, if, if the, the school emerges that you came from, um, that that's something that is going to resonate. So I don't think TCU finishes worse than second. Okay. And so – we know that that is a huge position of need for Texas and really just, uh, you know, one of the most important positions on the football field, um, offensive and defensive line. Those are where, you know, games are won. We know that the 2022 class was strong for both of those defensive linemen and offensive linemen. And Texas capitalized with seven offensive linemen, eight defensive linemen, 15 total commits in the trenches last year. 
how would you compare the offensive line and defensive line recruits in the 2023 class to what we had in the 2022 class? Not just Texas, but overall. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we're, we're, we're starting to put those lists together ourselves at SI as, as we get ready to unveil our, our first set of rankings for this class of 2023. And yeah, I think it's very different at the top. I, I think last year, the interior defensive line group was really strong. You had a lot of varying body types with guys who were going to play on the inside of Walter Nolan, Gabe Dindy, you know, Justice Finkley, who, who, play, who signed with Texas, different guys like that. Um, as to where this class, I think, is more edge friendly. It's more pure pass rushers uh, than, than big interior guys on the defensive side. On the offensive side of the ball, a little bit of the opposite. We saw high floor prospects last year. I, I think the two that we mentioned with Texas, Banks and Campbell, Tyler Booker, who signed with Alabama, these guys had such high floors where you just knew they could potentially compete day one. I think the top of the O-line board so far from what we've seen this year is a lot more about the long-term projection. Great tackles athletically, but maybe not technically at the very top of this class of, of 2023 when you think of guys like uh, Samson Oklunun out of uh, Massachusetts, Lucas Simmons, who's from Sweden originally, even Caden Proctor, who's you know who's from Iowa and had Texas in it early in the in the game. You know, even he is is more of a ceiling guy to me because I don't know positionally where he may fit best. Um, so I, I think he's going to have to potentially develop at a position where he hadn't really played. Uh, so I do think that it's more of a long term projection with a lot of these offensive linemen in this class. And again, defensively, I think it's more edge friendly than interior defensive line friendly. So the point is 2022 was, was the class to stack up with huge trench classes. And obviously Texas did that. Uh, and, and that was smart because you're not going to be able to duplicate that uh, in the next class, whether it's because of numbers or because of available talent. And in both cases, I think um, it was the right call for Texas. All right, so we're going to talk some NIL first. Another quick word from our sponsors. Make sure you're checking out rockauto.com for all your auto part needs. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com so john a question i have is are nil deals impacting timelines it seems as though some players are committing a little bit later in the 2023 cycle than we saw in the 2022 cycle so how are nil deals impacting the timeline of these recruit decisions I think NIL is impacting timelines and everything else that, that has to do with, with these decisions, uh, even the schools that are in it to, to some degree. Um, and look, I think there's, there is a bit of a sense, especially with the elite players, because these are who we're, the kids we're talking about, right? The kids who are pushing things further into the year than, than we typically see, uh, even at the quarterback position alone. I do think that NIL can impact the contenders, you know, who's truly, in the mix there. Uh, and then on the other hand, NIL can uh, maybe provide uh, more perspective down the line where it's like, well, we're looking at these three. And if this kid goes here and then you go there, well, then this deal could could potentially be here. That, that's just a hypothetical. But if other kids are watching other kids and watching those dominoes, then it would behoove of them to play patient and commit later 
in the process itself. And I do think at the core of that, NIL is factoring into some of those decisions around the kids. And again, it's not just the kids. The decision makers are beyond the kid. It's the kid, the high school coach, the parents, the mentors, the friends, the uncles, whoever's in it uh, close to the kid has has a say in all of this. And obviously, if NIL becomes to the level where it can change not just the recruits life, but maybe some of the family life, that much more emphasis is going to put be put on to just where. Uh, the, the kid should go, which obviously takes more time to, to make that final decision. So there's a trickle down effect, Jonathan, and and we're still really just scratching the surface on on what this impact uh, could really look like. I think it, it's going to help teams recruit areas that we don't typically see them recruit well at. I think it's going to help teams put bigger classes together in the end. I think Texas A&M is a great example from last year and even Texas with the offensive linemen, there's there's no doubt that the NIL packages afforded to the O linemen at Texas had to have played a role in some of those decisions. Um, so so I think those teams that can put collectives together and, and incentivize position groups or kids that are outside of the region, that can make you contend for, for kids that you're not normally in it with. Uh, so all of those things are going to push decisions later rather than sooner, all things even. Good stuff. And one last question. I'm going to get you out of here, John. So we've seen that the transfer portal in really all college sports has, has just become such a big thing. And I saw a statistic. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there's a huge percentage of kids that have decided to enter the transfer portal that have not yet committed, have not found a home. And so how is this affecting college football? And do you think this is good or bad for the sport? That's a great question, uh, Jonathan, the, especially the end, right? Good or bad. I mean, I, I don't know. No matter how you feel about it, I don't know how anybody could feel on one extreme or the other. You know, you can make an argument for good versus bad, and you can certainly make an argument uh, of how it's, it's a mixed reaction, which is probably where I'm at with it. At, at the core, uh, the transfer portal was about player mobility and empowerment, and, and in one regard freedom right the ability to look for something else and not suffer the the predetermined consequences of of sitting out right it, it's not just the portal it's it's the one-time transfer rule that goes with the portal um, i think those things have enabled for for kids to take advantage of it to a certain extent right if you're, this situation doesn't work for you um there's there's a change in the depth chart a change in your in your personal life your circumstances, you can now jump into the portal. And as soon as your name is in there, schools can now contact you. Uh, so I do think it is an avenue to refresh uh, your college journey. Uh, and in that regard, I don't know how you could really argue against it. But of course, there are unintended consequences of so much player mobility. Uh, and it's not just, again, the portal or even the one-time transfer rule. You had the, the pandemic year of 2020 where everybody maintained an extra year of eligibility and so many other things that are they're factoring into the overall roster crunch. Right. Some of these schools, uh, the, the schools usually that are stable and winning, they've got so tight numbers that they, they're almost having to cut kids to get to the 85 man scholarship limit. And then on the flip side, coaches that are going through a bunch of changes they can't get enough prospects to push up to that 
uh, man limit. And I think those things have factored into some of the kids that have jumped in the portal and, and have not found their next home. I do think some of that blame goes to the kid as well, though. I do think that there, there's a group of prospects who jumped in assuming I'm going to get recruited again because I was recruited three years ago and, and I'm a good player. So I'm going to get recruited again. You know, that there was a bit of uh, a lack of preparation by some of these recruits thinking, uh, assuming really that there was going to be a spot for them somewhere based on something that was either outdated, like like high school tape or, or, or you know, the situation of coaches moving around everywhere. Well, I knew this coach. He liked me uh, three years ago, so he'll like me again. And now he's at this school. It doesn't always work that way. Uh, so I, I think there was player error in this as well uh, as part of the reason why some of those kids are, are stuck in that in that portal dimension, I guess. Um, so is it good or bad for college football? I do think it's more good than bad. I, I do think that uh, circumstances change. Certainly we saw the, the craziest coaching carousel last year that we've ever seen. Those kids, you know, they, they commit to coaches. You know, th this whole notion of well, I'm a fan of, I mean, pick a school, right? I'm a fan of of North Carolina State. So I want all the kids who pick North Carolina State to be, you know, bleeding black and red like I do as a fan. It's unrealistic. You know, you're, you're committing to people. You're committing to coaches as recruits, uh, as much as, as the fantasy of, you know, wanting to, to live and, and breathe and, and I guess die in some respects for your school doesn't carry from fan to player the way that 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 fantasy or ideal ideological values would suggest. So uh, there's a lot of, of, of stuff to unpack with the portal itself, but I do think it is more good than bad because circumstances do change. Situations change. Injuries happen. Priorities change for, for kids as well. So I do think they are are to be afforded that freedom. I'm always going to side with the player for the most part. But there are certainly unintended consequences that the players are suffering from and, and even in some ways the coaches are, are suffering from as well. And those are the things that hopefully get fixed going forward, because whatever the percentage was, Jonathan, I think everybody could agree that that number is way too high in terms of the kid who's in the portal and doesn't have a way out. Great stuff. Great stuff there. John Garcia, Sports Illustrated, coming on Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Until next time, peace.